You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. To delegate. The word actually means to assign and then entrust. And it's important, both of them assign responsibility and then entrust them. Any of our leadership will tell you, and I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you, ask any of them, I do not micromanage. You want to drive yourself crazy, be looking over everybody's shoulder to make sure they do it exactly like you want it done. No, as long as they get the job done, you assign and then you entrust. And that's what these apostles did. Are you a manager in charge of a lot of people or a pastor of a church and overwhelmed by the huge responsibilities that you face? In today's message, Pastor Danny teaches us that the Bible instructs those in godly leadership to delegate their responsibilities. Micromanaging people is not only unbiblical, but trying to maintain control is always motivated by fear. The Lord models for us what it looks like to delegate responsibility. He's given his people the immense task of sharing the gospel around the world. Now here's Pastor Danny with today's edition of The Living Word from the book of Acts, chapter 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic or the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. We have no details of the distribution of food. Uh, We don't know if it was breakfast, lunch, dinner, all three, bagels, we don't know. But uh, daily distribution and some people were getting neglected. And anytime you have church growth, especially like this church grew in a very short amount of time, you're going to have challenges like this. You're going to have people neglected. Verse 2, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Now we need to understand what they're not saying. They're not saying it's above us to wait on tables. They had been taught clearly by Jesus that the greatest among them would be the servant of all. They also had all experienced that final Passover meal before the cross where Jesus got up from the meal, girded himself with the towel, and washed all of their feet, something that only the lowest servant of the day would do. No, what they're saying is we understand our calling. We understand the priorities of our calling. So the problem needs to be solved, but not by them solving the problem themselves. Verse three, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So now they're commissioned, these seven guys, to serve the apostles by solving the problem of people being neglected. One final verse, verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. As a result of their wise decisions, the blessing of God on the church continued and even increased. My study yielded four points. Three of them will be fairly brief and will camp out most of our time on the third. The first is simply this, potential division. The greatest, perhaps, blessing any church can experience is unity. Uh, We read about this church in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Had. So that tells me that even on the surface in Acts 6, it looked like the neglect could be racially motivated. It's the Grecian widows and the Hebraic ones, and the Hebraic ones were not overlooked. It was the Grecian ones. But if, if I take Acts 4.32 uh, for what it tells us about this early church, I don't think it was racially motivated. I think it was simply uh, a result of growing pains. But the unity was threatened. Psalm 133, don't worry, it's a short psalm. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's his anointing. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, refreshing For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Thank God for the wisdom of these apostles because their decision helped maintain the unity of the church without them sacrificing the priorities of their calling, delegation. We all, when we hear Bible teaching, forget most of what we've heard, all right? I forget most of what I said. But I heard Mike McIntosh years ago, Calvary Chapel, uh, San Diego, the name of the church was Calvary Chapel or Horizon Christian Fellowship, but God so blessed Mike McIntosh's ministry, he was actually traveling between four different locations. They would uh, do the service at the first location, and while he's teaching the Bible, they're doing worship at the second location, and then he would go from the first one to the second one, and while he's doing the second one, they're doing worship at the third location, and they'd just go four times, you know, and I mean, it, blessing, yes, but challenge, And I'll never forget Mike McIntosh as he's telling the story and he's teaching, but he's using these stories to illustrate what he's teaching. And he said he learned something early on. And it was one of those nuggets I took away that I never forgot. And he just said this statement. He said, delegate or die. And I 
love to delegate. And I'm still standing. Because I love to delegate. The word actually means to assign and then entrust. And it's important, both of them, assign responsibility and then entrust them. Any of our leadership will tell you, and I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you, ask any of them, I do not micromanage. You want to drive yourself crazy, be looking over everybody's shoulder to make sure they do it exactly like you want it done. No, as long as they get the job done, you assign and then you entrust. And that's what these apostles did. Favorite Old Testament story on delegation, Exodus chapter 18. Exodus 18, Moses, God gave him a pretty big ministry and he wasn't always happy about that. Exodus 18 Verse 13, next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing, he said, what is this you're doing? Why do you alone sit as judge with all the people standing around you from morning till evening? Moses answered, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. In other words, I share the word, how it applies to their situation. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. Someone has termed it burnout. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I'll give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. That sounds like praying for them. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. Be an example. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over, get this, thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. That's all the way down to a small group. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That'll make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain. And all these people will go home satisfied. I love this one New Testament verse. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not going to hammer you. We're going to move on. But it's a question you really need to answer because one day you'll stand before the Lord if you really know the Lord and be accountable at the judgment seat of Christ for what your part was. And so the simple question is, and then we're going to move on, what are you doing? in the way of service in God's church. The third is discernment. Division was averted because of delegation. And delegation happened because these apostles were discerning. To be discerning means very simply good judgment. They understood the priorities of their calling. And thank God they did not allow the challenges of church growth to get them sidetracked. And here's where we pause and dig in a little bit. Because there are two priorities they realized. One is the priority of prayer. It wasn't so that they could do all the praying. Jesus had taught them. They had actually asked Jesus, teach us 
to pray. Jesus had been a great example in his own personal prayer life. Luke's gospel, chapter 5, verse 15. Yet the news about him, Jesus, spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But despite the pressure of all the crowds, next verse, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus was a great example. He did not allow the pressure of a very blessed ministry keep him away from his time alone with the Father in prayer. Jesus prayed for his flock. One great example, Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Peter. Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. What does that mean, practically speaking? They take the wheat, they throw it up in the air, the wind would blow the chaff away, the good grain would fall together, and they would gather it up. Think about this. What does Satan want to do to Peter? He wants to blow him away from the fellowship of other committed believers who love and know the Lord. And if he can get you away, alone, from that fellowship, you're an open target. Next verse. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, when you've repented, strengthen your brothers. We know the occasion when Satan really went at Peter. Lord, if all these other guys fail, I never will. I'll die with you. Simon, I tell you the truth. This very night, before the cock crows, three times you will deny that you know me. And Peter emphatically said, never happened. It did happen. And Jesus' eyes turned and met Peter's eyes, and he went out, and he wept bitterly, tears of repentance because of his failure. Now, listen to me carefully. It would not have turned out like it did had Jesus not prayed for Peter. Did you hear what I said? Otherwise, Jesus' prayer means nothing. Why even pray for him? I mean, if it's going to happen, it is what it is, then what's the prayer do? No, the prayer, the prayer made a difference. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. I've prayed for you. When you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. And one of the ways he would strengthen his brothers, he writes about it in his letters, First and Second Peter, is through prayer. My wife and I are so proud of our children. But our children, I know, our children would not be who they are today if we had not prayed for them daily and continue to pray for them daily. It makes a difference, parents. It makes a difference. You need to have a prayer life that's powerful for the sake of your children because it'll make a difference in their lives. Moses recorded in Deuteronomy 9, here's what he writes, I fear the anger and wrath of the Lord, for he was angry enough with you to destroy you, talking about the Israelites. But again, he says, the Lord listened to me because he interceded, he prayed. And the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him, but at that time, I prayed for Aaron too. You go through Paul the Apostle's epistles, in pretty much almost every epistle, he's saying, I'm praying for you always. 
He even highlights some specific prayers, Ephesians 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the glorious inheritance in the saints. He was always praying. You know what? Not only was he praying for the churches, in his epistles, you'll also notice that he's asking for prayer. Sometimes specifically, pray that God would open a door for our message. Pray that I would declare it fearlessly as I should. Pray that I would declare it clearly. You see, the purpose for the pastoral leadership making prayer a priority and, 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 and modeling it before the body and leading the body into that is because God wants his people to learn to pray. And we need your prayer. I need your prayer. I thank God for the, for the sister in the wheelchair this morning that regularly, she told me again this morning, she said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I said, thank you. Keep praying. Don't stop. Prayer should be done at a specified time and a place you can get privately along with the Lord. But that's not the limitation of prayer. While we all should develop times away, just like Jesus did, he often withdrew to lonely places where he prayed. But prayer should also be done together. That's why we have many groups among our leadership throughout the week that meet together and pray. We have elders Sunday morning praying along with other men in the church during the services. But prayer also, get this one now, Prayer also needs to become just a 24-7 kind of attitude. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. One translation puts it like this. Pray without ceasing. Which tells us you don't always close your eyes when you pray. Because if you're driving the car, you want to keep your eyes open. And if you drive in this area of the country, you're going to need to pray. And you're going to need to pray not only for yourself, but for the others that are driving too. Some of these people miss their calling. They should be in the Grand Prix, St. Petersburg Grand Prix. Prayer is such a privilege, and it is so important. Let me give you some reasons why. You get the peace of God through prayer. I'm very careful with my words here. Very careful with my words. I want you to see this. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 verse 6 Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The Greek word for rule uh, actually means an umpire, an umpire. The idea is through prayer, I get the peace of God and God directs me. If I'm getting out of bounds, I get the whistle blown on me to get me back in line. Because when I get out of line, I lose the peace of God. Now, every one of us, when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, we then had peace with God. And if you know Christ is Lord and Savior, you have peace with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But the peace of God is something that we have to maintain. And you maintain it through prayer. The peace of God. 
And not only do you get the whistle blown on you when you go out of bounds, but through this and the peace of God, he guides you. That's the other thing the word means, to decide, to determine, to direct. My decision to come to Florida, now 32 years ago, hard to believe, 32 years ago, my decision to come to Florida, I made through prayer. And I got the peace of God. I had three open doors, three good open doors of opportunity for ministry. One was in New Jersey. Guy from New Jersey came up to me last night and says, you made the right choice not to go to Jersey. (laughs) My second was Dallas, Texas. I traveled to both of those places. I knew the people that were inviting me there to do ministry. We had done ministry before together when I was in college. I was looking forward to either one of those opportunities. And I flew to Dallas and met with them. I flew to uh, Philadelphia and drove over to Jersey and met with those guys. And without giving you the detail, through a period of several weeks after meeting and having those opportunities, I also got invited to come down here to a little church that had just started a few months before called Calvary Chapel. To come here was the least logical because I'd have to get a job. I'd have to be a tent maker. But as I prayed about those three opportunities, all of them seemingly good opportunities, this being the most less logical, but the other two, as I prayed, I just had no peace. I had no peace. Thank God I made the right decision. I made the right decision. But it's through prayer. Not only the peace of God. By the way, The Apostle Paul illustrates this. Let me just say this real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look how this worked out practically in the life of the Apostle Paul. He said in Acts 24, I strive always to keep my conscience clear with God and man. That equates to, I strive always to have the peace of God in my life. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, listen to what he said, verse 12. When I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Open door must be the right move. Wait a minute. I had three open doors. I still had no peace of mind. That's what he writes. Because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them. And I went on to Macedonia. Even though the Lord had opened the door, Paul had no peace. And so he said, I'm not staying here right now. I got no peace about it. Strive always to have the peace of God. And then from the same passage in Philippians... Personal challenges in life. You, listen, all of us are going to go through them, and some are going to be very heavy, very tough. All of us. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter. What, what, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Social back. Doesn't matter. You're going to face a lot of challenges. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, petition. Let your request be made known. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Sometimes you have the peace. You'll go, I don't understand why I have such peace in this situation. You got that peace through prayer. And it's a great privilege. Great privilege. Through prayer, I get my focus adjusted. Sometimes I get out of focus. One of the great worship leaders of the Old Testament, his name's Asaph. Psalm 73 is his psalm. And here's what he writes. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
Being a part of a church community is a theme we see in the book of Acts. It's important to surround yourself with people who are actively seeking Jesus in their everyday life, people who can encourage you and support you in your own walk of faith. You, in turn, get the opportunity to share your gifts and talents with your church family. If you haven't yet found a church in your area, we encourage you to find one soon. Are you in the St. Petersburg area? We'd love to have you join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet each Saturday at 6 p.m. and again on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Each service contains Bible study, prayer, and worship of our incredible Savior. Hang out for a little while afterwards to meet some friendly faces. Don't forget to shake hands with Pastor Danny and let him know that you're a listener. Find out more about Calvary Chapel Fellowship at our website, ccfstpete.church. If you can't join us in person, we have a live stream of all of our weekend services. Just visit ccfstpete.church and click on the link in the menu. While you're at our site, you can listen to additional teachings from more books of the Bible by clicking on sermons. You'll be redirected to our YouTube channel and don't forget to subscribe. That way you'll never miss a new edition of The Living Word. You'll find the link again at our website, ccfstpete.church. That's all we have time for today on The Living Word. May God bless you as you continue to seek Him in your personal life and in your community. Join us again next time for another edition of The Living Word.